Greetings and welcome to Union Street Hoops, a podcast dedicated to Valparaiso basketball and the Missouri Valley Conference. I'm your host, Paul Oren, at NWI Oren on Twitter, and you can catch Union Street Hoops on NWI.com, iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, all over the place. Day two of Arch Madness, and I'm here with Carl Berner. Once again, Carl, thank you. Hey, how sweet it is. S-U-I-T-E it is. That's right. We are live from Lumiere Place Hotel and Casino right now. Not a sponsorship, although that would be nice. <laughs> uh, yeah, I stayed here uh, the first two nights, and we are now, it is Friday morning, about 9.30 in the morning. Valpo is uh, several hours removed from their victory over Evansville. 58-55 win, which we'll get into here in a second. And... As soon as we're done recording this podcast, we are going to pack up and we're moving to the Red Lion Hotel because Priceline Deals is what gets you. Priceline. You're a wizard, man. I don't know how you do it. That stuff confuses me all the time. I usually end up just paying full fare wherever I go, but you, man, are a wizard. Well, when you do Union Street Hoops for free, you have to find the deals wherever you can get it. So if you want to uh, you know, subscribe financially to Union Street Hoops, just come up to me in St. Louis and hand me a $20 bill, and I would love you forever. So, uh, no, we, we are good here. Uh, let's get into, uh, into yesterday here. Uh, it, there might be a little a- ambient noise here. We are in a hotel room. We're brewing up some coffee I'm literally right brewing a cup of coffee. And, you know, it, it's, it's, the, the noise might be a little bit different. We, we are sitting underneath a yes. semicircular lampshade. It is a parabolic reflector of sorts. It is, that is completely metal, and it is right above the microphone. So do forgive the <laughs> silo effect. That said, this is the only place that we can record here in this hotel. It was very fun recording on the train. And, Carl, the amount of people that came up to me at the Enterprise Center yesterday and said, that's so awesome that you recorded a podcast on the train. And it started making me think, where else could we record a podcast? And that's something that we'll have to think about later on. But as for now, we do it underneath a metal uh, parabolic uh, light fixture. In a suite, but right here in the thick of things at Arch Madness in St. Louis. And the league has really taken good care of us, and it's been a blast so far. It, it has been. It started off yesterday with the Coach of the Year luncheon. Ben Jacobson of Northern Iowa won Coach of the Year. I, you know, it's hard to argue with him winning Coach of the Year. I'd have gone with Mullins, although they faded down the stretch a little bit. Mullins from Southern Illinois, a team that was picked to finish last. They lost their best player early on in the season, and then they finished better than the team picked to finish first. And that either says a lot about the media not knowing anything, or that says how much Southern Illinois accomplished. I also think Indiana State, you got to give some kudos to them. Greg Lansing, who was basically coaching for his job this year, led them all the way to the number three seed, including some really big wins over Loyola and Northern Iowa at home. And we'll see later on tonight in the nightcap, which is tips off 11 hours from now, Missouri State and Indiana State playing each other should be a good one. And then, Carl, we got into the games yesterday, Drake and Illinois State. Illinois State. Yeah, yeah. I, I, mm-hmm. it's been so long. Uh, Drake Drake won that when Illinois State came out, jumped out to a lead. But then Drake battled back. It was a two-point game at the half, and I think Drake's went like six minutes holding Illinois State without a point to start in the second half. And uh, it was pretty much game over at that point. It was. It was too much Liam Robbins. Uh, huge game, though, uh, off the bench for Sturts. He really did play well, uh, as you mentioned uh, before the game. But Garrett Sturts 
really helping out the cause, but uh, three starters and double figures, it just ended up being too much Drake. And Drake is really maybe the team, at least from my perspective as someone who covers high school basketball, that I'm going to defer to a little bit here because of all of the guys that are from Northwest Indiana. Jonah Jackson from Merrillville, who went to Juco, went the Juco route, had five three-pointers yesterday. He played really well. Anthony Murphy started off the scoring with a three-pointer. And... You know, he's kind of a bruising force inside, but he can step out and hit some shots as well. Roman Penn, the point guard who played at Bishop Knoll, and then later Don Bosco, he played really well yesterday. The one guy that didn't play well was DJ Wilkins from Merrillville, who's been such a great player for Drake. He had a couple bad turnovers in, in the first half, and into the second half they pulled him, and he didn't play the rest of the game. He was the only guy on Drake's team to finish with a minus in the plus-minus category. I have a feeling he'll come out with a renewed sense of vigor as Drake will play Northern Iowa later on today. And when I say later on today, I mean basically in, uh, in two and a half hours because there is no rest for the weary at Arch Madness. No, not at all. And their fans apparently still enjoying themselves even after the loss. And a good effort from Keith Fisher the third, a double-double with 14 points and 10 boards. But as we've said, the starting five for Drake and starts off the bench just a bit too much. And then we get into the Valpo game. And, you know, we talked about this on the podcast the other day. And if you haven't, go back and listen to Amtrak Madness, which will kind of preview everything. And we did say that this could be a dangerous game for Valpo because Evansville was a team that was going to play with nothing to lose. And what was incumbent upon Valpo was to come out and put them away early. And I thought there was a stretch there where Valpo got it up to 11 and Evansville started taking bad shots. They were taking bad three-pointers here and there. They were panicked. They were rushed shots. And it started to look like a little bit of me ball out there from Evansville. And then Valpo just couldn't close the door in that stretch of the game. Evansville made some of those shots, and they got back into the game. And there was moments there where it looked like Valpo was going to run away with this. And there was never really a moment where it didn't feel like Valpo was going to win this game. You were just waiting for the next, for for the lid to come off from the perimeter. And it never did. It never really did, and, and clearly it did not because uh, they didn't hit one. They, didn't, they did not hit a three-pointer. Valpo said history became the first team in Arch Madness history to not hit a three-pointer in a game. That's incredible. A 298-game streak was snapped of Valpo knocking down three-pointers. You have to go all the way back to November 2011 against Akron. Valpo was over 14 in a coaches versus cancer tournament game at the Arc, Valpo won that game 62 to 59. So the last two times that Valpo hasn't hit a three pointer, they've won. They've won the game. Which Why do you even shoot threes anymore? That's, Just, that's <laughs> incredible. <laughs> yeah, I remember that coaches versus cancer game. They handed out those blue shirts, and uh, everybody was standing and wondering why we couldn't hit a three. Yeah, well, and then they didn't hand out any shirts last night, but people still wondering why you can't hit a three. I said going into this. I said on the broadcast, because I was blessed to be able to broadcast the game with Todd Eichau last night on WVUR, do that again all weekend, that I thought if Valpo was going to win the game, they had to get hot early from the three-point line. Shows what I know. I also picked Missouri State to win the league, so don't listen to anything that I ever have to say again. Well, and I don't think anybody would have come into this game previewing it saying, you know what, it's going to be the two freshmen that are going to take you through this game and be your best players in the ball game and eke out a win for you. A lot of credit to Donovan Clay for coming out and setting the tone. He scored five points early. Ben Cricky came off the bench, and he scored four points immediately. Had a 
couple of really big plays. Let's talk Javon Freeman Liberty for a second before we get into the end game of, of what happened. Freeman Liberty, we had talked about stealing some rest for him if you possibly could. And they got a lot of rest for Javon Freeman Liberty, like three and a half minutes worth. Right. He played 36 minutes in this game. Mm-hmm. And he may have, I thought at least, suffered a catastrophic injury at one point. It looked like it, yeah. He kind of landed weird, which begs the question, not to de- not to take away from the game, but one of the things that's happening in college basketball anymore is during team timeouts, they bring out those chairs all the way out onto the floor, almost into the lane. And if you don't clean that up, you're going to have some slick spots. And it looked like Javon simply hit a slick spot at, uh, in that area on the floor where Valpo takes their timeouts. It's nothing on Valpo. That's just the culture of the game anymore. But uh, it's always confused me why they do that. That's a great point. You know, this idea that and I remember from our days broadcasting on WVR when we were students, being the sideline reporter, you just stood right behind the bench. Yeah, you were there on the bench, and the the bench players would stand up, make room on the bench for whomever was out on the floor so the coaches could get in there. Now they go into the lane, for crying out loud, and set up camp. Yeah, I think that's a that's actually a great point. I haven't really thought about this, but yeah, you bring, uh, you bring out the five guys who have just been playing and all these other people... And they're sweating all over the Dripping place. Dripping all over the floor, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Where do most of these things, where do most of these slips and falls happen? Right there. Right Carl, there. you're revolutionizing the game of basketball here. We need to no longer, you know, they should go the other direction. Let's the be fans, safe, everybody. The fans should get up and clear out, and you should go <laughs> sit in the stands and do your time out there. So, Javon Freeman Liberty, you know, give the kid a lot of credit for coming out and playing. He's held to a season-low eight points. It's actually funny because in the early stages of the game, I thought he played really well. He was I think he scored a pull-up early on. He made a really nice move to the basket at one point and finished in transition. He had like three assists before the first media timeout. He 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 knocked away some some steals there. I thought he was playing really well. And at halftime, as a matter of fact, I tried to start writing a game story because I had to submit something pretty quickly, um, which, again, that changed, which is why uh, we haven't put the story online until just about now. But um, I I actually wrote about a 200-word thing at halftime just so I could have something ready to go for the end of the game. And my lead was Javon Freeman Liberty didn't miss a beat in his return to the court. And I just wrote about 200 words about how great Javon Freeman Liberty had played in the first half. The second half comes, and he just, he you could tell he was a step slow a little bit, uh, which is obviously going to be problematic for Valpo going forward. But I will say that even after he suffered what appeared to be a bad knee injury, and he was, I mean, people texting me saying that on the te- television broadcast, you could hear a catastrophic scream, like a, like a really elongated scream. He came back, and he actually made two really nice plays down the stretch of the game. Um, he had, had the long pass to uh, to Kaiser. He also went on the home lo- home run route at one point. So, um, what did you what did you see from Freeman Liberty in the game? Well, I I thought that outside of the fact that he didn't 
hit double digits in points. He clearly was below his average there, not scoring the basketball. But the rest of his game looked pretty much like typical JFL. I mean, you, you, he had seven rebounds. He dished out six assists. He had four steals. And a couple of the, and one of those was key toward the end of the game. That was a big steal uh, toward the end there uh, that he uh, sought to create with. And then again, you know, finding Clay and finding Kaiser for that dunk. Absolutely. So every other facet of his game seemed to be there, but you're absolutely right. He did look a little winded, a little, you know, a little rust maybe he needs to knock off. So ultimately, Valpo very fortunate to win the game, and maybe that's uh, maybe that's something that helps them now, that they didn't play their best game, and now maybe they can pull that best game out today and, tr- and play a little bit better, shoot a little bit better, and maybe JFL will be up uh, closer to game speed for today, depending on how he is uh, after that. I don't know if that injury is going to hamper him or not. We don't know yet. Uh, Freeman Liberty finished 4 of 15 uh, from the floor, 0 of 3 from the three-point line, but as and he had five turnovers too, which is, uh, again... So there, the, the, obviously there was some rust there and all of that. Um, you know, people always talk about load management and things like that. We do have to remember these kids are eighteen to twenty-two years old, right? I mean, I could have run through a brick wall at twenty-two years old. I think. Um, you know, Donovan Clay played thirty-two minutes. He played really well against sixteen points, seven rebounds. They had a steal, a couple of blocks, including the game-saving block. We'll talk a lot about that play here in a second. Thirty-one minutes from John Kaiser. And 27 minutes from Daniel Sackey. That's interesting, too, when you think about the fact that for a lot of times this year, the criticism has been, we love John Kaiser, he's great, but if he's playing more than 15, 20 minutes, that can be a problem. John Kaiser made some big plays. He's a senior. You know, obviously he's going to be playing with the added emotion of his career could end at any game now, but I thought he he played pretty well. And then Daniel Sackey, as Matt Loddick said after the game, we do not win this game without Daniel Sackey. Absolutely 100%. Talked about his integrity, talked about his heart, talked about his fight. He kind of took some time in the press conference after the game to really talk through Daniel Sackey, who made some big baskets there down the stretch of the game. Four rebounds, including one where he skied in the air for a rebound. A smallest guy on the court grabbed a rebound. That was excellent. Had a couple of assists. There's a lot of stuff here that Saki did that doesn't show up in the in the box score, and because uh, I just remember thinking throughout the game that Daniel Saki is winning this game for Valpo, and he played 27 minutes and did very well. I also want to mention on the flip side of that, Ryan Fazekas only played 18 minutes, Malik McMillan only played 14 minutes. It was clear that whatever Evansville was throwing at Valpo, Evansville was dictating the game. And it just maybe wasn't a great matchup for Fazekas and McMillan in that situation. What did you see from those two guys? And is there a positive in the fact that they only played 18 and 14 minutes respectively? I think it is a positive in that sense because now you've got a couple of guys who normally play quite a few more minutes in a ball game, and they did not, so maybe they'll be a, a bit more rested. But yes, that was just excellent scheming by uh, Todd Licklider. They really were guarding the stripe. I would not be surprised if the uh, if the nuts and bolts of that was uh, chase J- uh, Javon Freeman Liberty and guard the stripe with your life, because that is literally what they did. Uh, not a whole lot of open looks uh, for uh, Fazekas. Uh, and Malik, same deal. They just they they really did clamp down on the three point line, uh, and uh, you know they they 
again, they, they were matchup issues, I think. As you pointed out, I, I don't think that there's any other way to describe it. I don't think that they were tired. They certainly weren't uh, injured because they were coming in and out uh, in spurts. But we did not see a lot of Fazekas late in the game. No, and and late, late in the game, I think Lodic put them back in when they started doing offense-defense kind of things there. But, uh, you know, it, I just thought it was strange because normally you roll with those guys, but I just think that... They were playing the matchups, and and it's hard to take Ben Cricky out of the game when he's playing as well as he did. And Saki, like I said, played really well, and you're going to keep Kaiser out there and Clay and Freeman Liberty. Those three guys were making big plays. So I do think it lends itself as an advantage, as you said. When, you know, you're thinking about being fresh here. McMillan and Fizikas don't have—they didn't play much. Now, a guy that did play a lot was Kaiser, and Kaiser limped out of the locker room with a walking boot on after the game. And, you know, I, I asked him, I, I interviewed him, and he said it just helps with the soreness. He said, look, we started in July. We started getting ready for Canada in July. It has been a long, long year, and they're, everyone's hurt right now. And, uh, and Kaiser said he'd be fine, and uh, I think he's at shoot-around right now, and, and he'll, he'll play tonight, but... Obviously, this team is beat up a little bit. Let's go to the last play of the game. So, a couple things happened. Uh, the last segments of the game. Valpo's up two. Excuse me. Valpo, Valpo was up. Freeman Liberty goes to the free throw line. Mm-hmm. Valpo's up two. Valpo's up two. Freeman Liberty goes to the free throw line. There's a couple seconds left in the game. If he makes both shots, game's game over. Game pretty over. much, essentially, yes. He misses the front end of a one-on-one. Now, Valpo had only bet the line at that point nine times, and they were eight of nine. And so Freeman Liberty, and actually Todd on the broadcast said, if Freeman Liberty hits these next two free throws, he'll get to double digits every game for the entire season, and he'll break the sophomore scoring record at Valpo that, that Alec Peters had. Freeman Liberty came into the game at 561. He's at 569. Uh, Peters' record is 570 for sophomore scoring, and Freeman Liberty hits both these free throws, he'll be good. Well, he misses the front one. So now Evansville's got the ball, and now you got to play defense. Mm-hmm. And Evansville doesn't call a timeout. I think they might have been – they might have had one left. Maybe they were out at that point. And they, uh, they end up driving in, and K.J. Riley, who is 13th in the country and made free throws and 22nd in the country in attempts, he gets to the line. Which he had gotten to the line a lot in the game. He did, and that was that sacky foul right there. And that's maybe one of those plays that maybe it could have been an ill-advised foul. Maybe, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if there was a strategy there or if you want to put K.J. Riley on the line. I certainly wouldn't. You kind of want to play through that moment. But he does pick up the foul uh, and hits the front end, and you're thinking, okay, here we go. It's going to be a tie ball game. However, it was not to be. He hits the front end. Misses the second one. Freeman Liberty gets the rebound. And like Valpo's done, John Kaiser sprints down. Freeman Liberty sees him. And he chucks the ball down the floor. Now, a couple things can happen here. One, that's a risky throw down the court. But even though it's risky, it's like clearing the puck in hockey. 
You're just simply throwing the ball on the other side. And I thought, well, this this may roll out the clock right here. And if you're a Valpo fan, your hands may be on your head because there was a long pass just the previous possession to J, uh, JFL when he got fouled that nearly went out of bounds. Yeah, it yeah. nearly went out of bounds, and now you're saying, oh, goodness. But it looked like a good pass all the way, and I just felt so good for Kaiser, you know, being able to at least have that moment, you know? How often do you get to see John Kaiser dunk? And in that kind of a situation, just a great thing for him. And so Kaiser throws down the dunk, and Matt Lodick immediately calls timeout. And he has talked about this before. He's been in this situation where he wanted to make sure his guys were set defensively, wanted to make sure he knew what they were doing. So he calls a timeout. Conventional wisdom, Carl. You're up three. There's four seconds Uh. left. Conventional wisdom says... <laughs> foul! Please foul! You're up three. You foul. The odds are with you. Because if you foul, Paul, five things have to go right for the opposition. You have to hit your free throw. You have to you have to hit a free throw. You have to miss a free throw. You have to miss it in a way where you can get a rebound. You have to secure the rebound and get off a shot. You have to make that shot. That's five things that have to go right. If you don't foul, only one thing has to go right. They just have to hit the shot. So to me, you foul there. That's just me. I'm not the coach. But conventional wisdom, you're up three, you foul. Matt That's Lodic, my opinion. That's Matt my Lodic opinion. didn't foul. He did not foul. They don't They, they don't, don't foul. foul. They, they don't. don't do that. That's not their game. That's not what they do. On the broadcast, as, a, as soon as they called timeout... Todd and I both knew exactly what was going to happen because we've seen it. And maddening as it might be, it's worked. Valpo sets up a defense where they put their five guys outside the three-point line, like two feet beyond the three-point line. And it just, it really makes it difficult to get a shot off. Now, what you need to tell your guys to do is don't foul in this situation because you're going to be right up on them as they're attempting this shot. This has happened five, four other times. It happened in the Vegas tournament. Matt Loddick's first year, they played BYU in the Vegas tournament. And this was the first time we'd ever seen this before. And it was brilliant. And as a matter of fact, like multiple people reached out to Loddick afterward, other coaches, and said they'd seen this and said, that was genius. They put five guys outside the three-point line and BYU never got a shot off. Then Rhode Island at home in a game where, you know, it's just a really, really tough Rhode Island team. And a ranked team at the time. A ranked team. Mm -hmm. Antonio Reynolds-Dean, we'll say his name every time, um, (laughs) who was a guest on Union Street Hoops prior to this game, they did the same thing. Valpo put five out. I think they ended up blocking the shot in that game. Not to mention, this is the arena where the Sweet 16 took place in 1998. There you go. Drake at home this year. Another situation where Valpo up three late, and they, they did the same exact thing, and it worked. And then at Illinois State this year, in the game at Illinois State, same exact thing happened, and that ended with a Donovan Clay block. So it was clear that this is what Valpo likes to do in this situation. And they did it, and Donovan Clay blocked the shot, and Valpo wins the game. This is one of those situations where I think if you, this this is almost crystallizes the, if you are a fan of Matt Loddick, you think it was a brilliant move. If you are a detractor of Matt Loddick, you think that was awful and Valpo got lucky. Mm-hmm. 
it, I think I actually read a post on the Valpo message board earlier today or yesterday that said this season has has not provided an answer for the people on whether or not they like Matt or don't like Matt. Mm-hmm. This season has given more fodder for both sides. Mm-hmm. You can talk about how Valpo has maybe overachieved with some of the younger players that they have, the development of the freshmen and all of that. You can say great things have happened there. Mm-hmm. Or you can say Valpo only beat an OA 18 team by three points. Why didn't they foul? <laughs> right. That, right. Which, Why didn't they foul? Which then you would have only beaten that team by one point probably or two points. Mm-hmm. Um, what it, what it, obviously you scream foul. That's fair. But I, let's go back to the idea. So Valpo won. They won ugly. Does that matter? Does it matter? Well, I think it matters uh, in a few ways because, again, I don't think that if you're a player on that team, and, and you don't even need to hear anything from the coaching staff, I don't think that if you're a player on that team that you are satisfied with how you played last night collectively. I don't think that that is your best game. I think you know that is not your best game. So as a motivational tool, not only are your backs now against the wall because you've got to play a much better team, but you know it's, it's added motivation to just do better and to know that you need to come out and you need to play your best game tonight because you did not play your best game last night. People will argue that Valpo only beat Evansville by two points in, on January 4th. They had to go to overtime. They'll argue that they only won by two points on January 26th at home when Valpo had an 18-point lead and they blew that one. And they'll argue that Valpo only won by three against an 0-18 team in the conference tournament. On the flip side of that, Carl, Valpo plays Loyola today, who they lost to by three on December 30th in the conference opener, and then at Loyola they lost by two. So it's a pretty thin red line right now, right? I mean, Valpo struggled to put away Evansville, but Loyola has struggled to put away Valpo. I'm not so, go- yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to say that Valpo is a team or this is a team that plays to the level of their competition. I don't think that you can go that far with it. But in this case, when you look at Evansville and how they performed and you look at Loyola and how they performed against Loyola, it's it's the same thing. They're playing right with both of these teams. So it's I don't know if it's an anomaly, if it's a coincidence, or if they are playing to the level of their competition in some instances. But uh, they get up for whomever they're going to play against, and you know I hope that they're I hope that it's as tight of a game tonight as it was the first two times we played Loyola this year. Um, there's a lot on the line, and Valpo is looking to go a bit further. There's always there's always improvement looking to be made in the program, especially when you join a new conference and just building off of what you did the year before. And this is the next step, getting to the semifinals. Where What are we looking at in this game? We're looking at what Valpo's up against here. They are a 7-10, 8-9 from, from, from Thursday night, going up against an established top team in the league that does, hasn't had to play a game yet. It's been since 1998 that a team has won on Thursday and then won on Friday in the conference tournament. Now, if there is some silver lining there for Valpo, only three other times in conference tournament history has a team been 9-9 and and been relegated to Thursday. One of those teams was Bradley in 1998, a good 9-9 team in conference, and they were able to beat the number two seed the next day. So teams that are 9-9 are 1-2 
uh, on Friday. So there's at least a little bit of, uh, you know, everybody else is like 0-45 or something like that. Valpo has played in eight games this year that are decided by three points or fewer, and they're 5-3 and three in those games. Two of those losses have come to Loyola. And Valpo now, this is an odd one, they've had 30 games under Matt Lodick where they've scored fewer than 60 points, and they're just 4-26 and 26 in those games. But two of those have come this year against Evansville, and then when they beat Southern Illinois 55-38 a couple weeks ago. This has been a... Uh, it's also Valpo swept Evansville this year. I actually remember when Valpo beat them for the second time and everyone talked about how this is Valpo sweeping Evansville for the first time in 54 years or whatever it was. And I thought, ah, you're putting the cart before the horse there. What if they play in the conference tournament and Evansville wins? And uh, Matt Bowen, I guess, at one point had said how how much he was nervous about uh, about midway through the season saying an Evansville team could be very dangerous. And I think everyone felt that way. But you survive and you advance. And I know that it's a corny line, but it's a line that makes sense. Survive and advance. So now Valpo's got Loyola. Carl, what do you think's going to happen? Well, you you can talk about how what you do against Cameron Crutwig, but we mentioned this. We talked a little bit about this uh, on the uh, on the Amtrak train. You can only hope to contain him so much because he's going to get his points. He's going to be a force. So now it's going to come down to how well you uh, guard the perimeter, and that's going to be it. And you know Valpo a defensive-minded team, and that may be another reason why they match up against Loyola so well and have played them so well and so close uh, in two games uh, in the regular season is because of their perimeter defense, and it is going to come into play again tonight. They are going to have to play the defensive game of their lives from the three-point strike. Valpo is 0-7 against Loyola since joining the Valley. Valpo had a lot of success against Loyola in the Horizon League, but... This is a different animal Loyola is now. They have really invested in their basketball program. They have built a practice facility. They've renovated their arena. They have taken all of the steps that Valpo wants to take, right? The step that Valpo needs to take is to beat Loyola right now. Valpo, assuming they don't go into a postseason tournament, although that, I mean, you're 17 and 15 right now, the CBI or CIT, I don't know if that's on the board, Valpo, with the win against Evansville, has clinched at least a 500 record, which they already kind of had. Mm-hmm. But certainly if they if the season ends with a loss to Loyola and they don't play another game, Valpo finished with a winning record. Now it's 17 and 16, if that, if that is the point. And, I, you know, there can be some arguments about whether or not Valpo should be content with just finishing with a winning record. But what you can't discount is that Valpo has shown progress this year. And I, how much progress? Well, last year they had Loyola in the quarterfinals. They were down 12 early. Mm-hmm. This year they've got Loyola in the quarterfinals. Got to see what happens. Got to see what happens. And again, like I say, perimeter, that's where this game is going to be won or lost, I do believe. Because against Cameron Crutwig, he owns the paint. He literally owns the paint on both ends of the floor. So what it's going to come down to, Paul, is the battle of the Whitney Young grads. It's really, ultimately, it could come down to that. It came down to that in Loyola. JFL on the drive. Williamson, the steal. I'm using the quotes 
with my fingers, the uh, steal at the end of that game, could come down to those two guys. Who is going to have a better game uh, in that matchup? It's, uh, again, this will be a big game for Valpo. Last time Valpo's beat Loyola was February 19th, 2013. Um, again, last year in Arch Madness was 67-54 in the quarterfinals. It was, uh, this is an interesting stat too. I'll, I'll end with this number because we're throwing a lot at you. Valpo, in the two games against Loyola this year where they lost by a combined five points, shot 11 free throws. Loyola shot 51. 51. Part of that is Crutwig's ability to clog up the lane and keep you from driving to the basket. But Falpo's got to figure out a way to, A, knock down some shots from the perimeter, and, B, get to the get to the free-throw line, where they're shooting pretty well from the free-throw line as of late. I mean, again, all due respect to Javon Freeman-Liberty missing the front end of a really big one-and-one. One. They were 8 of 10 from the line yesterday. And uh, so there we go. Carl, thank you very much for doing this again. It's uh, it's 10 a.m. Games start in a couple hours. We got to check out of some hotels. We got to check into some new hotels. We got to move. I really hope that if you hear this and you're you know you think let's go to Arch Madness. Let's go. It's you know it's it's five hours away from Valpo. Uh, you listen to this. You can listen to it on the road. Matter of fact, uh, I hope you do. I hope you're here. So come say hi, and again, hand me twenty bucks because it'll be awesome. <laughs> so all right, thank you very much, Union Street Hoops. You can catch it on nwi.com, Apple Pod, Spotify, SoundCloud, all over the place. Thank you, Carl Berner. I'm Paul Oren. We'll be back later on with more from Arch Madness in St. Louis. Take care, everybody.